Asking family, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you being up. You all did amazing. Goldfish are my favorite as well. So you nailed that. I think I can lift this up. So one of the things as we, as we dive in to Mary's song a little bit, one of the things that uh, I, I love about people, and I think it's all people, I think it's all cultures, at least all the cultures that I've been in, I think it's something that all people share. When we experience joy, we act weird. Like, and I love it. I love that people do that. When we experience joy, we act weird. At least we don't act as we normally would. And Christmas time is the epicenter of weirdness. And I love it. I love everything about how, how we act weird. Uh, you know, the food is so good at Christmas time. We love the food at Christmas time. That actually starts at Thanksgiving, but it never really stops until the new year. So we love the food at Christmas time. And so we overeat which is a little bit weird because most of us have access to that same food uh, like all the time, and so we could just wait until it doesn't hurt to eat it, but we just keep on eating, which is kind of a weird thing. Uh, gift giving is another thing. We love that. We can experience joy from, from giving gifts, but we, uh, so we overspend, right? We, we spend money we don't have to give gifts. That's kind of a weird thing uh, when you think about it. One of the weird things that the Abbott family does is around Christmas time, we put on records, vinyl records uh, of old Christmas music. We, Abby and I just got a couple of new ones, uh, Perry Como, uh, uh, just like the weirdest old stuff. And, and, uh, and so we'll put it on, and you never know when it's going to happen exactly, but, but usually after we've had a couple of songs on, there's a, all our kids kind of emerge from different places, and we have full-on Abbott family sing-alongs, like Van Trapp family style, you know? Like we <laughs> We get full into it, and some would say that's weird. Uh, we think that it's totally normal, and there's an entire art genre called musical that thinks it's totally normal. But uh, that's, that, so we do that. But bursting into song, that's one of those things that you do when you experience joy. You just find these different ways of communicating, and songs uh, it can be one of those. A couple months ago, we were in Tallahassee for a cross-country meet for Caleb, our oldest, and I have a friend up there, and I said, where should we eat? Because we don't get up there very often. And he told us about this taco place. He's like, it's so good. It's the best tacos in town. So like, great. So we went to, to check it out, and the tacos were really good. Uh, but we were ordering, and the waiter comes over and says, what would everybody like? And my youngest, Joe Slee, said, you know, we said, hey, we're going to get the burrito for him. And the waiter says, oh, actually, you should probably get the kid's burrito. It's really big. This waiter does not know my son, and he shouldn't act like he does. Uh, so we were like, no, we'll stick with the full-size burrito. And he eats the whole thing, right? But when Josely loves something, particularly food, things start to happen to him, mostly physically, uh, and it's not what you would think. Uh, so he, like, he'll start to kind of move as he's eating. He kind of starts to kind of rock, and then he sways, and then hands go up like praise dance. He starts praise dancing, and he'll move back and forth between hands like if it's a fork. He'll like, kind of change hands because it's like, I don't want to be impeded in my movement and my praise. And so he's kind of doing this with the burrito, and he's loving it. He's kind of rocking. He's like, and he'll kind of close his eyes, and he'll do this kind of action. And so we kind of experience, this is in a restaurant, people. This isn't like a home. This is like full public, and we're like, yeah, this is who he is. Uh, and so he eats this burrito that's as big as his head, not his ego, just his head, like just to be clear, nothing could be that big. Uh, but he eats this burrito that's as big as his head. And, and then as he's subsiding, as the praise dance, as the spirit is kind of, kind of subsiding in him, uh, he, he looks over at us and he says, and I quote, this is filled with everything good you could ever dream of. <laughs> there are people who have never loved anything as much as Joe Lee loved that burrito. And it caused him to sing a song, write poetry uh, about it. When we experience joy, sometimes, sometimes we sing it. <laughs> I'll give you the address, uh, Jeff. I'll give you the address. Um, today we're continuing Advent as we talked about, and we're looking at Mary, the expectant mother of Jesus. 
and she burst into song. And her song is about experiencing something good from God. But it's also about hardship and pain and things not being right. But I'm telling you guys, this song is filled with everything good that you could dream of. Luke tells us that Mary uh, moves with haste. She goes with haste while pregnant, traveling 70 miles. It's a treacherous road to visit Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, and the future mother of John the Baptist. More on them in the next couple of weeks. When Elizabeth sees Mary, she proclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And then she says, Why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary's response to Elizabeth is a song. And the song is called, traditionally, the Magnificat. It's one of the most famous songs in all of Christianity. It's been recited in Christian churches for the last 2,000 years. It was even put to music by Bach. Why? Why this song? Well, as N.T. Wright says, this is the gospel before the gospel. It is a bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before the manger and 30 years before the first Easter. And Mary's song, it reads, I mean, you just heard it, it reads like a psalm from the Old Testament. I mean, you could drop it right in the middle of the psalm, the book of Psalms, and you wouldn't even know the difference. It reads like the psalms, which makes sense because Jewish children would have been taught and memorized the psalms growing up so that they had something to draw on in times of joy, but also in times of uncertainty. It was just a common thing. And so if you ever wonder, and this is a side note, but I think it's important, why study the scriptures? Why memorize scripture? I mean, it's available to me all the time. I have an app on my phone. Why do that? Why, why draw on it? There are a lot of good books out there, good thinkers. I mean, Dr. Phil seems smart. I watch his show every day. Dave Ramsey seems smart. Why not just read their books? There's a lot of wisdom out there. Why meditate on God's word day and night, as Moses calls the Israelites to when they're freed from slavery in Egypt? Why pass God's word on to my kids and my kids' kids, as the scriptures call us to? Why do that? Well, because when the ground shakes and the mountains crumble into the seam, when the future seems so hard to figure out, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble, and the word of the Lord endures forever. It's worth having it close to us to draw on in times of need. So last week we looked at how the angel says to Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Most High. You're going to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Now Elizabeth saying, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. This is all true and it's all good news and it's all things that would bring joy. And so maybe singing a song seems perfectly normal. But there are other things that were true about Mary. I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's important for us uh, to set the stage here. She was a poor teenage girl, which meant that her social power was zero. She had zero social power that made her very vulnerable. And she was at the time pregnant and unmarried. Now things are really tough for Mary because an unmarried pregnant woman could be punished with death for that offense. This is a life and death situation for Mary, and she's on the wrong end of it. So people are almost certainly going to consider her an immoral teenage girl. So now the devout community that she comes from won't just uh, uh, look down on her. They'll actively distance themselves from her if she even makes it out alive. She won't have the social support that maybe she could have otherwise if there was much of any for a poor teenage girl. Because the thought was, uh, in, in her day, in her culture, that good people to stay good with God couldn't interact with bad people because the bad would rub off on the good. So you distance yourself from the bad and an immoral teenage girl was bad, the thought goes. 
By the way, this is one of the things that just amazes me about Jesus. He grew up in this very same culture, and as he grew, he didn't fear the bad rubbing off on him, not infecting him. In fact, this is at the heart of the gospel he came to reveal. The dirt doesn't rub off on Jesus. His goodness rubs off on us. And so he gets near people that other people wouldn't. So yeah, Mary uh, is going to be the mother of the Most High, but she's also being told she is headed for uncertainty. And she's going to be more vulnerable as a result of what God is asking of her. How do you deal with that? And here really is the question that I'm hoping guides us for the rest of our time. What do you do when you face uncertainty? When we face uncertainty, we do, we, do we look mostly forward into the unknown, or do we start somewhere else? Do we look back into what is known? Mary's song gives us some clues. In the face of uncertainty, she begins her song of joy by looking back at a God, who God is, what he has done to build trust moving forward. Here's how the song begins. Let me read it again. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary starts by being honest, and it's not all sunshine and roses. The word translated humble state here, uh, it's not like, oh, who am I to have such honor? It's not like a dismissive kind of like, oh, you know, woe is me kind of thing. It's, it's, it's lowly. It's translated humiliated. It's even translated in the Bible, vile. She recognized that God sees her in her vile state. She knows how people are going to talk about her. She knows that people are looking at her. She knows that people are distancing themselves from her because she is in a vile state, and she's honest about it with God. See, to recognize that God is going to heal something, you first have to recognize that something needs to be healed. Mary, in her song of joy, says, I'm, I'm, I'm in a humiliated position here. I'm seen as vile. And not just me. There are also lowly people in the world. There are other people that are lowly. There are hungry people in the world. There are people that have used their power in the world. But that present doesn't produce hopelessness in Mary. She's honest about it, but it doesn't produce hopelessness. Not because she can muster up a few good feelings until the next wave of pain comes. No, it's because there is a hope in a God who cares about it and a God who's doing something about it. That's what her song is about. So what is he doing? He's intervening. God's showing up in the mess. He's turning things upside down. He's flipping power with the advent of Jesus. Mary is in this moment. She's in the middle of a transition from being no-name, vulnerable nobody to the future mother of the king of the world. And her song is about how her reversal of social status is actually pointing to something bigger, a greater upheaval, how it's going to up, upend the proud and the powerful. It's going to exalt the poor and the outside. Things are going to be possible now that simply weren't before for individuals, for societies, for the world because of the child that she is going to parent. But she's honest. That's where she starts. Things haven't been perfect, God. And there's a lot of uncertainty right now for me. That's where she starts. Why is this important for us? Well, I think we can miss this. When we praise God without being honest, what are we doing? If we praise God, sing a song of joy to God, but we're not honest, what are we doing? We're either writing fiction or we're not paying attention. Maybe we're trying not to offend God, but he knows things aren't right, just like we do. 
And when we praise God without being honest that things aren't right, we eliminate the opportunity for our faith to grow. We miss a chance to say, God, I trust you to work unexpected things in this difficult space in my life and in the world. Sometimes we think the most faithful thing that we can do is say, uh, no, everything's fine. That's fine. Everything's fine. God's got this. Everything's fine. I don't even want to really think about things not being right. Everything is fine. We think that's the most faithful thing to do. That's not more faith. It's less. We get it backwards. But if we're honest about the uncertainty we face, about the pain we've felt, about things in this world that aren't right, if we say God can set even those things right because he's big and he's good and he's trustworthy, that's where faith grows. Because the thing is, if everything is fine and nothing is wrong, who needs a Savior to show up at Christmas? For me, since 2012, Advent has been a strange time of year. There's so much joy, and I love, I love the joy. I love the anticipation. I love the expectancy. I love remembering that God can do big things, but it's been a weird time. Since 2012, when Isaac stepped down as our lead pastor, and then a year later, right around this time, him passing away, and then last year being our first Christmas without my mother-in-law, Advent for me since 2012 has really been a time of like just bracing for impact and waiting to see what's around the corner. And there's been some anxiety that's developed for me in that. Because those things happened. They're true. They're true things. But there are other things that are true as well. This church has held together through all the uncertainty to continue to pursue what God has for us, to continue to reach people that are far from God, to hold together in the storm, and to continue to serve each other and others with beauty and grace, all the while worshiping God. And as I've tried to navigate the, the, the pain and disappointment and anxiety, I've had a wife right by my side who has loved me every step of the way. The larger story is that God hasn't stopped caring and he hasn't stopped transforming lives, including mine. God's true to his word to never leave me nor forsake me. And I have to lean into what I know about him to be hopeful about what comes next for me. Did you get that? I have to lean into what I know is true about him to be hopeful about what comes next for me. And I can look at Mary's song to guide me in that process. Do you ever have those feelings? Do you ever have the, the anxiety because Christmas is forever different because they're not here anymore? Uncertainty heading into a season that's supposed to be about joy because the job seems unsettled. Because everyone else seems to be okay, but I'm not doing okay. Do you ever have those feelings? I think we all can identify with the uncertainty of feeling that something's waiting around the corner for the other shoe to drop because we've experienced it in the past. So Mary begins with being honest about things not being all right. And then she looks back to see who God has been. I want to read a section of the song again just and just kind of... Sit in it for a second. Verse 51, it's in your bulletin, uh, or you can just listen. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he had promised our ancestors. Did you get the song? It's all aorist tense. It's all past tense verbs. He's performed mighty deeds. He's brought down rulers who have abused their power. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry. He has helped. God saved Israel from bondage and brought freedom and justice in the past. Why wouldn't he help me now? He's kept his promises in the past. Why wouldn't he be here for me now? See, this isn't just a song about God doing some things that are going to surprise the world, though it is about that, but it's more personal than that for Mary. She isn't just acknowledging facts about God. She's praising him for who he is. Mary, in her uncertainty, is saying, God's been good. Why should I be surprised that he's good to me now? God hasn't left the world. Why would I think he would leave me now? When we're uncertain as to what comes next for us, it matters that we turn back to who he has been. Not just in the last week, not just in the last month, not just in the last year, but not even the span of our lives. I mean, the story of God is our story. We're part of it. The scriptures say we're adopted in as sons and daughters. If he has saved people in the past, he is sure to be true to his character now. Our story says he's trustworthy now. And I believe we do ourselves a great disservice if we try to move forward in the present without remembering the past. And this is really quite practical. So when you're a kid, right, you taste your first donut and your life changes forever, right? You realize like, oh my gosh, there's this thing in this world I didn't know it was in the world before. Now I know it's in the world. Now everything has more color than it did in the past, right? So that goes into your brain and you realize the next time you see a donut, you're like, I remember what that was like. Now I need another donut, right? And so as an adult, you drive by Donut King and you still remember what that feels like and you go, donuts are good. They're not gonna hurt me. They're gonna be good for me. As long as I don't eat a dozen of them, everything's fine, right? But that's built over time. That's trust that's built over time. And because often, oftentimes the most spiritual thing we can do is the most practical thing. When we draw on our past experience, that's where we can be guided moving forward. Understanding who God has been helps us move confidently through our present circumstance now. That's why we go back to Scripture. That's why we recall our story. Mary starts with being honest about who she is and how things are, and then she looks back on who God is. And who God is, she says, is a God who is powerful and merciful. Verse 49, the mighty one or the powerful one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Without that, if that's not true, Mary's actions, her song, her response to the angel when, when, she, when the angel says, you're going to give birth to the son of the most high and he's going to reign forever. And she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be t- uh, fulfilled. Her response that's like, I, I, I'm in. I'm in, God. You use people in your plan to save the world. That's the baseline of things, so I'm in. Without that truth, without God being powerful and merciful, none of that response makes any sense. If God isn't powerful, if he doesn't fight for people, how else could a poor teenage girl be tasked with parenting the Savior of the world? Even though she's going to be looked down upon, how could she praise him? 
But if God is the mighty one who accomplishes great things, who shows strength and scatters the proud and brings down the powerful from their thrones and sends the rich who misuse their power away empty, if he is a God who fights for people, as Mary's song says, as the Psalms say, as Psalm 24 says, as Isaiah 42 says, as Zephaniah 3 say, as they all, if that's who he is, if he doesn't turn his back on those that are in the midst of their battles, if he can be trusted, then he's worth praising. Do you know that fear not is one of the most repeated commands in all of the scriptures? Why? Well, it's not because we're so capable. It's because he's so powerful. Fear not. Do you need a God who fights for you? Listen to Mary's song. She's singing about him. And he isn't just powerful, he's merciful as well. He looks with favor and he lifts up the lowly and he extends mercy and he remembers his promises to give justice to those who have been treated unjustly. Do you need a God who's merciful? Who mourns with you when you mourn? Who doesn't quit on you when you fall short or when we fall short as a community? or society, who doesn't seek to pay us back for the wrong we've done, but came to win us back with love and grace, a God that says you are worth fighting for. Do you need a God who's merciful? If you do, look at Mary's song. She's singing about him. The Old Testament, the scriptures, are the story of God moving among his people toward the rescue mission that began the moment we first fouled up creation that would find its fullness in the return of a baby that Mary is going to parent that will be born in a manger. And the thing is, maybe Mary knew all of that. Maybe she knew how big all of this was. Maybe she knew that God was bringing salvation, not just to her little community or her family, or not even just her. Maybe she knew it was for the whole world. Maybe she knew who this baby that she was going to parent, maybe she knew who he was going to be. Maybe she understood it fully. Maybe she knew he was the fulfillment of the promise all the way back from Genesis chapter 12, a promise that God says, I will bless all people of this world through my chosen people, that Isaiah says uh, will show up as a prophet, king, priest, the only person, the only one who could unite all three of those offices, king, priest, prophet. Maybe Mary knew that that was Jesus. Maybe she knew how big all this was. And when we read it from the end, right, with the end of the story in mind, we probably think, yeah, Mary, Mary had a full understanding of all that was going on. But honestly, maybe she didn't. Maybe in this moment, maybe she just thought it was good news that God was going to act on her behalf. In her vulnerable situation, God wasn't going to leave her alone. Maybe that's all she knew for sure. Maybe she was calling back to all that he had done in the past because her present was so uncertain. But she was willing to trust God with as much as she knew about God. So that's why she called, like, here's as much as I know about God, so I'll praise him and I'll trust him with as much as I know about him. Are we? Do we praise God with as much as we know about God? Or do we wait for more information? Or do we wait for more to work out in our favor? Or do we wait for things to get easier for us before we'll praise him? 
Are we willing to praise him because of the clarity we have about who he has been in history and in our lives? Or do we, does, does a, a present lack of, of certainty keep us from it? When we face uncertainty, are we honest with God? And do we look back on who God has been and praise him for it? Here's another way to ask it. When we face uncertainty, do we look mostly forward into the unknown future, which can produce anxiety? Or do we mostly look back into who God has been, which can produce trust? Because here's the thing. I don't know what uncertainty you're walking through in this season. I'm certain you have some. Job, family, kids, finances. When will this hurt less? This thing that was supposed to go away it still is bothering me so much. When will I get further along? When will I be better off? Those are questions we ask, sometimes to ourselves, maybe quietly in prayer, listening for an answer. But as Corey Ten Boom said, she was a Dutch watchmaker who loved God and loved people enough to risk her life repeatedly to save Jews from Nazi Germany. As she said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So maybe for you, maybe this Advent is about getting joy back. Maybe you felt it a little bit this morning as we were singing together, but maybe that's what this Advent is for you, getting joy back. But here's why. You get joy back because you can trust him. You can put your hope in him because of who he has been. It doesn't necessarily mean ease moving forward. Remember what the angel said when, she, when he greeted Mary? The Lord will be with you. He didn't say it would be easy. The Lord will be with you. And it might not mean now. This thing you're longing for, it might not come now. And at any given moment, the clouds of uncertainty can, can, can blur who God is. But here's what it means. As Mary's song teaches us, just because clouds block the sun, it doesn't mean it's no longer there. Mary's song was honest, guys. She was honest about things, how they've been in her past and how her future or how her present feels right now. And so her praise is honest. And our praise can be honest like that too. Because it doesn't change the character of God. It doesn't change the power of God. It doesn't change the, the mercy of God. As Mary says, he's a God who is powerful and merciful from generation to generation. And because he is, because he showed up in a manger to rescue the world from our vile state, we can have the clarity that can produce joy and bring hope that stands up in the face of any uncertainty we face in the present. So what do you do when you face uncertainty? Be honest. Look back at who God has been so that you can move forward in hope. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that you are not a God who has left us alone in our circumstance, but a God who is with us in it. And a God who ultimately promises to and has shown every indication that you will set all things right. And if that ever gets hazy in our mind, that's what Advent, this season, is all about. The remembrance that when all hope seemed lost, you showed up humbly, 
to serve. Thank you for Mary's song. Thank you for her example that even in the midst of things not being all right, she was willing to look back at who you have been, and from there she was able to move forward in hope. I pray that we might be people of hope. And I know, God, we can't do anything that you have called us to do or be anything you have called us to be without you. We can't move forward in faith uh, of you without you. And so, God, I pray that by your Spirit you would, you would come to us that you would grant us the supernatural ability to be hopeful even in the midst of our circumstances, not because they're all right, not because everything is perfect, but because you are a God who is turning everything upside down. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for the manger, and thank you for Mary and her song as a reminder of what it means to have joy even as you face uncertainty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.